So a little side note um, before we really get started here. When I was a kid, you know, schools did magazine sales, and they still do. And I remember the funny thing about it was the only magazine my mother ever bought was uh, TV Guide. You all remember the TV Guide? Remember what they did? You know, they stuck a little R behind it if it wasn't a new episode. Tell you it was a repeat. Well, I'm going to apologize right up front because some of this is going to feel like a little bit of a repeat. Because the last two weeks, pastors talked about Moses. And when I agreed to do today's message, the Lord started giving me a leading as to where to go. And two weeks ago, he started talking about Moses. And I went, you've got to be kidding me. But then I later on realized, you know what? He'll do a whole lot better job than I will, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on Moses, and we'll leave it at that. So we're going to rely on pastor's uh, messages from the last two weeks. Um, So we'll just give a little bit of a recap about Moses as we get started here. Um, Moses lived a life that was full of encounters with God. Uh, The hand of God was on Moses' life from the beginning, protecting his life and arranging for him to be taken in and raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, God first speaks to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. Yeah, we're all pretty familiar with that. That's one of them stories we heard from the time we were children. Um, We also know that Moses argues with God about his abilities to go to Pharaoh to get the release of the Israelites. Um, But regardless... God delegates that authority for him to be the rep- his representative and sends him to, to Pharaoh, whether he felt he was worthy of it and whether he wanted to or not. Um, as we think of the plagues that Moses proclaimed over Egypt, each section starts with a phrase similar, similar to this, if not this exact phrase. Then the Lord said to Moses, Moses is repeatedly receiving instructions from the Lord about how to deal with Pharaoh to obtain the release of the Israelites. Moses is in an ongoing conversation with the Lord during the process of gaining the release of the Israelites. The conversation doesn't end there. The Lord provides instructions about the Passover so that the firstborn of Israel will not perish in the final plague. God led them out of Egypt toward the Red Sea, a route that probably made no sense to them. Have you ever been in a situation that made no sense? I know I've been in plenty of those. When the people grumble about food, the Lord spoke to Moses about how he was going to provide them manna and very specific instructions about how they were to gather and repeated this again with the quail. The Lord continues to speak with Moses. I mean, this is just incredible to me. It's like they're best friends. It's like they're walking together every day. You know, Pastor Tim mentioned how the second time that Moses went up Mount Sinai, Moses was there for 40 days with the Lord. Most of us would be satisfied to know for a fact that we were hearing the Lord tell us something, let alone spend 40 days with him secluded. Um, Moses was often seeking an audience with the Lord and even asked for more of the Lord in Exodus 33. Uh, So just as a reminder, we'll look at Exodus 33, 18 to 23. Moses said, please show me your glory. 
And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses' life was one of continual encounters with God. How many? I don't know. I'm willing to guess that they're not all told to us. How often? It seems very often. Um, Moses was bold enough to ask for more, though. Even though the Lord was always talking to him, he still wanted more. Um, God gave him as much as he could handle without, you know, because otherwise he would have died. I think it's safe to say that Moses was submitted to following God and that he was all in. As we think about Moses' life and how God was speaking with him, a question comes up for me. Was God speaking to anybody else? I don't recall that he was. Exodus is all, you see God talking to Moses all the time. You don't see anybody else being mentioned having an audience with God. There are many others spoke of in the Old Testament that God spoke to, but it seems like it was one-on-one, one at a time. Uh, Now, admittedly, I'm not a biblical scholar, and I'm not great about chronology, but if that's just an observation I've made. So let's not forget about Moses and how Moses and God were constantly in a conversation, constantly interacting and relating with each other. But let's move to the New Testament. We're going to look at John chapter 1, 35 to 49. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? 
Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. As we were talking about Moses, I said that it seemed as though God only spoke to one person at a time in the Old Testament. In a different fashion than the Old Testament, when Jesus is starting to go public, mind you, he hasn't performed the first miracle of turning water into wine at Cana yet, at the wedding in Cana. He draws the first five disciples to himself. Initially, the first two disciples were unnamed in verse 37. But in verse 40, we find out that one of them is Andrew. So we have an unnamed disciple and we have Andrew, who then gets his brother Simon, who becomes Peter. Then the next day, Jesus calls to Philip and says, follow me. Then Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. So in the first two days that anybody knows that Jesus is the Messiah, he draws his first five disciples, the one that is unnamed. Then we have Andrew, Simon, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. Right off the bat, we see a difference from how things were in the Old Testament. Eventually, there becomes the 12 apostles, and what was, what was once a one-on-one type of relationship between God and Moses or God and the other folks in the Old Testament has expanded. We see God being in multiple relationships at the same time. This pattern continues whether it is Jesus with Peter, James, and John, the 12 apostles, or the larger number of disciples that, are, that follow him around from place to place. The scope of interaction has increased, but this doesn't mean that Jesus isn't still engaged with people on a personal level. He's still very much attending to their very specific needs. As interesting or not as this may be, what does this mean for us? It's been nearly 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth. Moving further into John, we'll be looking at parts of chapters 14, 15, and 16. These scriptures follow the Last Supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. He's washed their feet, told them that one of them will betray him, and has told Peter that he would deny him. Then he proceeds to give them these promises about how they will not be alone. So John 14, 15 to 18. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is the first instance where Jesus tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit will be coming to them. Chapter 15, verse 26 to 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Here Jesus is reaffirming that the Holy Spirit will be coming and that he's coming from the Father God. In chapter 16, 
we have verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. As Jesus is preparing his followers for his departure, he promises them the presence of the Holy Spirit to be with them. The third person of the wonderfully mysterious Trinity. For whatever reason God chose to limit his interactions in the Old Testament to one-on-one interactions, Jesus, because he was fully man and fully God, allowed himself to be limited to the relationships of those whom he was physically in contact with, those that he was in the same place with. Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit, confirms that the Helper will be coming, and then goes so far as to say that it will be better for us when he leaves. Frankly, if I was one of the disciples, I would have been shaking my head saying, how is it going to be better for me when you leave? But they were only accustomed to having Jesus there. Soon enough, though, the church would be scattered by persecution. So they wouldn't all be together even without Jesus there. The Holy Spirit, because He is Spirit, is not physically restricted as Jesus allowed Himself to be. Jesus, even though He was fully God, respected the boundaries of also being fully man and and was only able to interact with those whom He was in contact with. Whomever believes in Jesus for their salvation has the Holy Spirit with them. The volume or openness of relationship has expanded yet again. It has gone from the one-on-one of the Old Testament to the multiple relationships that Jesus was engaged in to an unlimited number of relationships between believers and the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not just for our salvation, but to bring power so that God receives the glory. The power for our lives to be transformed into lives that more fully respect, reflect, not respect, but we need to respect too, the person and presence of Jesus in us. It is for an ongoing, continual relationship. It's like the conversation that Moses had with God. It's to be daily. It's not a once and done. As I said, it's for ongoing. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit can be and should be one of continuous encounters, day and night. Often we try to stand on our own rather than turning to the Holy Spirit. God's original intent was for there to be continuous interactions between God and the people of His creation. Genesis tells us that He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. If you read Exodus 19 and 20, you will see that God not only invited Moses to the mountain, He invited all of the Israelites. Now, the mass of Israelites had a restriction. They had boundaries that God instructed Moses to set up. They were only allowed to come so far, whereas Moses was allowed to go completely to the mountain. But they were invited. He wanted them there. He wanted that relationship with them. I mentioned a moment ago that the Holy Spirit's purpose in our life is not just for salvation. If you look at our logo on the wall, you'll see that the cross, and the cross stands for the Savior. 
the redemption of our souls. The labor on the right stands for the sanctification. Separated from sin, separated to God. The pitcher stands for healer, spiritual, emotional, physical. And the crown stands for the coming king, Lord over all. Uh, if you want a much better and more in-depth, you can go to the Alliance's website, and it's, they've got pages on it. Um, as I stated, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to bring power for the healing work of salvation, power for sanctification, power for bold proclamation of the gospel, power for physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing. The stand of the Christian Missionary Alliance is expectation without agenda. Expect the Holy Spirit to move, but don't try to say how, when, or what He will move, in what way He will move. An analogy, if you will, uh, when we get married, each spouse brings a different set of gifts into the relationship. Um, God has created us with abilities. When we accept Jesus' sacrifice, the Holy Spirit comes with gifts also. The gifts that the Holy Spirit brings are spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12, 11 to 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one in the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I'm not going to spend time talking about the gifts because that isn't the point of the message. The point of our relation is our relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As with all relationships, there are responsibilities. It is our responsibility to draw close to the Holy Spirit, to pursue Him, much like Moses pursued God. Through this pursuit, the gifts that the Holy Spirit has brought to our relationship should be developed for the sake of glorifying God and the expansion of His kingdom. God is glorified when people are saved, when people are living free from spiritual bondage, free from emotional pain, free from physical ailments, and when the church is boldly proclaiming Jesus as Lord. In Acts 2, the retelling of the events of Pentecost appear. The retelling of Peter's incredible message and the salvation of about 3,000 people. In the very next chapter, we see the encounter of Peter and John with the lame beggar. So 
So Acts 3, 1 to 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But, see, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We see the power of the Holy Spirit working through Peter and John. The healing was done in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it resulted in the praising of God. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the glorifying of God. God was praised and received glory because the beggar was healed. Would God have received praise and glory if Peter and John had given the silver or gold that was requested? I have no idea, but I don't think it would have been the same. This time I'd like to ask Scott Gates to join me for a few moments. Uh, so, Scott, just uh, give us a brief introduction, you know, when you started coming to OCCA. A long time ago. <laughs> well, that's In the brief. 90s. <laughs> um, 96, 95, 96, 97, somewhere around there. So I, I didn't start coming until about 2000, and we didn't meet right away, probably sometime around 2004. Um, how would you describe our initial relationship? I gave you these questions in advance. <laughs> I'm trying to take things seriously here. Okay. Um, I didn't know much of you, and then um, we connected through the studies that we were doing with our group of men. You were going to college at the time, I recall, mm -hmm. living as a vagrant from house to house. <laughs> Okay, um, and I don't deny that house to house was very common. <laughs> a few weeks or a month ago, you came up to me after a service. Why did you come up? Um, I had injured my shoulder uh, the previous week and it was bothering me, and uh, there was no particular call or anything for healing. But knowing you're an elder and knowing my shoulder hurt, and you had access to the oil, <laughs> I. Um, I felt the Lord was saying, you know, go get prayed for for your shoulder. So, you know, I've in the years past, we've been taught that when you're going to pray for somebody, ask them if they know if there's anything um, in their relationship that is between them and the Lord. So I asked Scott the questions, and we talked for a few moments. I anointed him with oil. And then what? I want to preface this with a little bit. Um, I have uh, experienced healing 
on more than one occasion. Um, if you want to know about them, I'll tell you later. But they've always been very um, non-dramatic occurrences. So, I mean, so I have le legitimately experienced healing. Things were completely different afterwards than they were before. But it's always been very, like I said, undramatic. Uh, as soon as the oil touched my forehead, this incredible sensation started in my shoulder, which I'd never experienced that before. And I had no idea what to do with it. <laughs> it I panicked, seriously. Um, I began to doubt and backpedal and question and, you know, am I just doing this? Is this just emotional? Is this just adrenaline? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and just backed right out of it. And uh, told John that. And I said, despite that, um, there was an, like an acute pain in my shoulder. I don't, you know, I don't know what I did to it, but definite acute, sharp, stabbing pain. And that, that disappeared immediately. But it wasn't right still. I didn't have complete range of motion. And, and you know, I wasn't functioning in what I envisioned a healed shoulder would function as. You know what I mean? It wasn't 100%. But you came forward and you experienced some healing in that. I did, yes. Do you want me to continue? Or? So what happened last week? <laughs> so so uh, John uh, had approached me to... Um, do this, this, and uh, I told him that, and, and I was honest with him from the beginning. You know, I said, John, I said, this is what happened when you anointed me. I, I told him all that I had just told you, and um, so I, I wasn't hiding that or anything from me, but I told him what had, had occurred and uh, was puzzled by it, you know, and, uh, but anyway, he approached me about doing this, and I said, John, I'm really not comfortable um, you know, because because of my response, you know. And uh, so um, right now I'm uh, teaching one of the Sunday school classes or Kingdom Builders or whatever we're calling it now. And uh, so I'm doing a lot of studying, a lot of praying, a lot of, you know, working in the Bible. And, and um, the thing that, that we were preparing for this week was the process of, discovering God's will, following God's will, you know, the, what's the process? You know, the process is what's important to God, not the end result. Um, the, there is an end result that he desires, but regardless, it's the process. So I'm pondering that, pondering other things, struggling with, with coming up here. And um, Thanksgiving Eve, Wednesday, um, and I told this in a class this morning, I apparently snore, <laughs> and my wife periodically will leave the room and sleep somewhere else. She videoed it the other day, <laughs> but the screen is black, so I think it's her. I don't think it's me. But anyway, back on track. <laughs> um, so I got up, switched beds with her so she could have the nice bed, and I went and slept where she was sleeping. But my arm hurt. My arm was bothering me. It hurt. And, you know, I'm saying, God, what are we going to do with this? You know, it's like John wants me up front talking about this, and I'm still not comfortable with it. So I'm laying there, and um, the pain leaves my arm. And 
I worked the snot out of my arm yesterday, and I'm fine. While he was at it, I had pulled a muscle in my back um, and was not walking properly and not functioning properly, and that went away too. Um, so that's what happened this week. <laughs> now something I need to interject that I forgot I told Scott I would say is that Sunday that he walked up to me, I would kind of felt like I was in a funk that whole week. And a lot of times I'll come to Sunday service and being gathered with other believers, the singing and whatnot will knock me out of that. It didn't knock me out of it at all that Sunday. I was just as much in a funk at the end when he came up and asked me to pray for him. And I went, okay, Lord, he's asking, I'll pray. It just goes to show you that it doesn't matter who you are. It's for his glory. It has nothing to do with us. Um, Scott and I, if you haven't figured it out from that little bit of a chat, we're just two ordinary guys. Except for when you add the Holy Spirit into it. Then we're not two ordinary guys. We're two guys that believe in God Almighty, the most powerful. So, But like I said, though, it's not about us. It's about glorifying God. Um, healing flows from the power of the Holy Spirit, not from our faith. Um, it's not from our feelings. It's a sovereign choice of God to heal or not. And frankly, I don't have no explanation as to why he'll, why he healed Scott and why he might not heal the next person. That's up to God. That's not up to us. That's his, his sovereign choice. Um, I'm going to share two quotes from Reverend John Sofer that I came across while preparing for this message. He's a very active pastor in the CMA at that at the uh, national level, and I believe he's still pastoring a church in New York State. Here's the verse, first quote. It's titled. Jesus is still the healer today. Why don't we see it as the disciples in the early church did? They were full of the Holy Spirit. We leak. They were fully obedient. Too often, we are not. They fully expected to see Him work. We are often surprised that He does. Once again, Jesus is still the healer today. Why don't we see it as the disciples in the early church did? They were full of the Holy Spirit. We leak. They were fully obedient. Too often we are not. They were fully expected to see Him work. We are often surprised that He does. I was surprised. Like I said, I was in a funk. Scott came up and asked me to pray. I did. And you can ask some of the folks that were still here. Scott says, my shoulder. Two guys, we're hugging up front. Like, this is awesome. This is great. I was surprised. I was, I've seen people healed before, but I was surprised. I wasn't expecting. The second quote from John Sofer is, healing is all about glorifying Jesus. It's not about us. It's all about him. So I have a question. If you know it, feel free to answer it out loud. What is the reference for the scripture that is commonly referred to as the Great Commission? Nobody? 
Matthew 28 is the one that we most often go to. But Mark 16, 14 to 20 is also titled The Great Commission. It reads a bit differently, though. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached wherever, everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. There are portions of this account of the Great Commission that probably make our sanitized Western version of Christianity a little squeamish. And I used to be one of those. Um, Admittedly, even to this day, the only interaction I want with a snake is to separate its head from its body. I'm not gonna, you're not going to catch me playing with snakes, and you're not going to catch me knowingly drinking poisons. But I've been present when people had demons cast out. I've been present when people were healed. I've been present when people have spoken in tongues, and it's glorified God. Uh, one last scripture and a story to wrap things up, if the worship team would come forward. Uh, Luke, this is out of Luke 18, 1 to 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The focus of this parable is to encourage us to persist in praying, to continually enter into our relationship with God through prayer, to continually go to God like Moses did, to continually go to Jesus like the disciples did. As I tell this story, I would appreciate it if you would close your eyes and try to imagine yourself at this gathering. Picture yourself in a group of 50 to 60 people at a prayer meeting for the specific purpose of praying for people who need to be healed. This is a gathering of people that desire for the Holy Spirit to move and provide a much needed touch of healing. 
The speaker is reading scripture and telling stories of people being healed. My friend Ken is standing at the back of the group with his eight-year-old son, Michael, praying for the Lord to move in such a way that Michael's faith would be impacted. When it came to the time of praying for people, Ken feels prompted to take his son down to a lady sitting near the front to pray for her. They slowly make their way down the aisle to the front where she is sitting. When they get there, Ken tells the lady that he feels led to have Michael pray for her. And just at this moment, he sees the white cane sitting beside her. Ken begins to doubt and question whether he heard the Lord correctly, thinking to himself that this is a lot to ask. Michael isn't phased and begins to pray for her when somebody in leadership at this meeting suggests that all the young people should gather around her and pray. She stands and is surrounded by the young people and they're praying for her. When she stops them and says, no, I believe that there's somebody here that's supposed to pray for me, somebody named Michael. The others step back Michael continues to pray for her and he asks her have you noticed anything and she says yes my vision's improving but it's slightly blurry so Michael continues to pray for her and asks her again if she's noticed anything and she answers yes it's getting better so they continue to pray when they're finally done praying she tells Michael that her vision is restored now the next evening there's another meeting and Ken goes and attends that and this lady is there again she'd driven herself to the meeting weeks later he sees her again in town and her vision is still fine Remember the last part of the first quote from Reverend Sofer? They fully expected to see him work. We are often surprised that he does. The people that were gathered at this meeting fully expected the Holy Spirit to show up and work. Expectation without agenda. Do you expect him to work? We need to expect the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We need to pursue him. Today there's the possibility that there are some here that have yet to surrender their life to Christ. There's some here that, that may need physical healing or spiritual healing. Maybe you desire a greater closeness to God. Are you bound by something spiritually? God can work anywhere, but sometimes it requires that we humble ourselves and stand up or go forward and ask are you willing to ask the Lord to work in your life are you willing to step out and expect it 